typically we'd be doing empowered, but we're switching it over today. And what we're going after is this whole thing about same-sex relationships. Now, I want to say something really clearly. This is a smaller subset discussion than what the whole of LGBT, lesbian, gay, bi, and trans, and sometimes you'll add Q for that for queer. This is a, this is a subset of that issue. We're just talking about same-sex relationships, that part of it, okay? There's more to it than all of that, so I'll be referring to it in that way. And the reason why we're doing this is because, as you're going to see in a second, God did something in me and just said, you need to talk about this, and here's why, because I myself found myself censoring myself about this whole thing. What we're going to be doing today is simply saying, what does the Bible say? Why does it say it? And bottom line, there's this other little aspect of it, is, which is everybody's trying to make it say something different. If I were to line up millennials right now, and I were to say, if I were to line up 10 millennials, and I were to say, do you believe that the Bible says that same-sex relationships are not God's will? Do you believe that it says that? Clearly. Six to maybe more than that would say, I, the Christians now, millennial Christians, six, over half of them will say, this is by polls, they will say, I think the Bible's unclear. I don't think the Bible makes a clear statement about this. So we're going to see if it does. Does it make a clear statement? People are trying to say that it doesn't. We're going to look at those arguments and see why I don't think they hold water. But on the other side of that equation, you have to understand that still leaves three or four people. And of those three or four, about, about half of them, and there's no poll on this one, so this is just a guess on my part, but about half of those ones would say something like this. I know the Bible says, I know that God says that it's not right, but I just don't agree with him. That's a big deal, right? I mean, that's what a Christian will say. So we're just going to take a moment to look at that whole, the spirit of that thing, okay? Lastly, there is that categorization of people, not so much Christians, that'll simply say, I don't care what God says. <laughs> Can I just make something clear today? This is an in-house discussion in a lot of ways. If you're visiting here, wonderful to have you here. I hope your friend alerted you to what we were going to be talking about. Because, you know, if you're not a Christian, I suspect some of the things I'm going to say are going to be pretty tough for you to hear. I certainly don't mean them in anything other than the utmost of love, and I will explain that, and I hope that that will come across. But the bottom line is, is that I just want to talk plainly and clearly because there's a lot of controversy, deception, uh, there's a lot of stuff that's going on with this thing right now, and there's a lot of sort of fog happening around it. And I'd like to clear the fog today, okay? Now, the reason why I'm doing this is because, could you hand me the... the insert on the yeah thank you the reason why I'm doing this would you please pull this out of your packets I'm gonna take one minute and I'm gonna read you when I say one minute I mean about five I'm gonna read you two two things that I posted on Facebook and do me a favor turn to the back one first okay you see the one with the big title go to the back one alright and what I wanna do here's why I'm reading these to you I want to demonstrate to you that there's a way to actually talk about this, even in a public setting like Facebook. And I have tons and tons and tons of people that are friends of mine that don't know the Lord. And from every persuasion on this particular issue. And if I post something up there about God hates fags or something like that, I'm going to get slammed. And I should. Because it's not true. And we're going to see that too. But the bottom line is, is that 
there is this thing where I can't even post anymore because I don't want to become known as the pastor who's against gays. Right? That's what happens now. You just get labeled so quickly. All this whole stereotype just goes along with everything that's being said. And then, frankly, I care about the gospel. I care about people coming to Christ. I understand something about somebody who doesn't know the Lord. You're not going to understand what the Lord has to say about this. You're not necessarily going to agree with it. I love you. Okay? I get that you don't get it. That doesn't mean that I don't. And it doesn't mean that I'm not supposed to. And it doesn't mean that I'm not supposed to, in love and respect, be able to dialogue with you about it. But we're almost to the place to where dialogue isn't possible, is it? Because as soon as you bring it up, you can lose your job. As soon as you bring it up, you get labeled. There's all kinds of stuff going on. So I'm just going to try and cut through a bunch of stuff. And I want you to... I want you to, I'm going to read this, and I'm going to read it actually off of the screen, but you can read along here if you want or up on the screen. But the bottom line is, is I want you to just hear the voice of somebody who's wrestling with this issue, me. And I'm trying to find a way to articulate this in the public square in a way that is true to God, me, and those who don't agree with me. All right? I'm really going to be careful about saying us versus them. Because that's part of the problem, right? We're all in this together, okay? So, so just listen to this. This is the world, world vision reversal. For those of you who don't know, it's real simple. For, as, for reasons that I think were actually had merit to some degree, they made a decision and then quickly they said, we need to reverse that decision. And I'm happy that they did reverse the decision. I understand why they made it. I don't think they should have, and they reversed it within a day. And so if you're not supporting World Vision because of this, can I strongly urge you to reconsider your, your thing on that? I think they did the right thing in the end. All of us get a moment to make a mistake, right? All of us. And I think that they're in the right place on this, okay? World Vision just reversed our decision to hire gays and lesbians in legal marriages, today leaving aside the rightness or wrongness of their decision. See, I'm not trying to talk about whether that decision was right or wrong. I think that God has revealed, now look at where I start. I don't start with what's, what's wrong with them. I look at what I think God's doing, the bigger picture. I think that God has revealed a deep problem in the Christian community. We say we love the gay person, and we think that makes us like Christ. But Jesus didn't just profess love from the temple. He went to where the gay person lived and demonstrated genuine care for them as a person while simultaneously making clear that God has something better than what they know even telling them to go and sin no more, which they apparently did and not sinning anymore, largely because he was truly a friend of sinners. In other words, they listened to him because they considered him as somebody who actually loved them. And he gave them this better way to go. To be honest, I want them to come to me where I will truly love them and where my experience is that they will find a community that loves them. And I'm not going to call you out, but there's people in here that are that are here and have had that in their past, and they have found a community that loves and embraces them. So, and where they will truly be helped to understand what the Lord says, why he says it, and how to actually follow him. But this whole going out thing, to where they actually live, so deeply that they know and come to believe that I do genuinely love and care for them as a person, my behavior reveals that this is not really something that I want. I'm not going down to Capitol Hill. I'm not going into these places. I'm not doing that. So it turns out that I'm actually the hypocrite they accuse me of being. 
Or at least I'm the guy who says, go and be warned, but haven't given them a coat. I think that God is orchestrating all this in part to reveal a blind spot in his people. Now what to do about it? This is Mike's comment on the first fruit, precisely. It's not about giving the money. It's about where your heart is. Okay? Now, i got to tell you, I said, God, I'm not doing this, and this is really bad. And you know what God said back to me? hate to tell you this. Really sorry. What God said back to me is all the people that you're talking to are. Because they work in environments. They have friends, as do I. They're in these places. They are in these places where they can interact. You don't have to go to Capitol Hill, and you don't have to go to the gay bar. But you have to be as a friend to who you know. And I think that anybody that I know that's in this will tell you that I love them and that they know that I love them deeply. Okay? So we're here because it's here. Right? Now, I want to show you the second one because this is, and I just, again, I'm just trying to give you a thought of how to talk, how to open a dialogue. Okay? And notice that what I'm doing is I'm saying, here's what's wrong with me. I'm not going and saying, you need to stop your sin. That doesn't mean anything to them, except that you're a judgmental, and then you fill in the next word, okay? But there was a cancellation of a show that happened, and, and here's what happened with me, is I read about it, and I thought, man, that's just outrageous. This is really hard. The show hadn't even got on the air yet, but simply because they were Christians on a show on Home and Garden. I just don't know what that has to do with this. doesn't seem like it would, and yet... They canceled the show before it even got on the air. And I just went, this is bad. And I wanted to post it, and I went, I just don't want to be the guy that's always posting about gay stuff, right, anti-gay stuff. And so I didn't. And God got a hold of me, and he said, what are you doing? And so I went, okay. And I went, and this is what I posted. My heart and my prayer for all of us, even if you'd prefer I not, so for thousands of years, the vast majority of virtually every population on the face of the earth has felt that men should be with women and vice versa. I'm not saying there wasn't pockets where this was, you know, very visibly different than that, but the vast movement of history is this way. Not to mention that the God I believe in has, for very loving reasons, said clearly that he has a better way than same-sex relationships. I'm going to stop right there and, and notice something. Instead of telling somebody that they're a sinner, what I'm always telling them is God has a better way than what you know. Why? Because that's me. I am a sinner, and I can understand that I'm a sinner and that God has a better way for me. But all I have to do is just take out the word sin, and I'm getting to the very same place. Because the hope that I have is not that I'm a sinner. It's that God has a better way. And so if I put my emphasis on that part, and that's what I'm communicating, I've got a chance of reaching somebody, Right? But now I'm suddenly hated, berated, and judged as a narrow-minded bigot, something no one who knows me thinks is even remotely true in any other area. Only because I hold to what I see as the loving, better thing that God has for those who would follow him. If he did not say what he said in his word, and if he had not made me know his love in it, I would rejoice in any two people who fell in love and married, no matter the gender. That's not a casual statement by me. I had to get over my own, now watch me here, I had to get over my own this is, you're not going to let, but homophobia. I had to get over my own preferences. I had to get over natural law arguments and everything else. If there is no God, there is no problem. People loving each other is a good thing. Period. We have to start there. It's funny that Christians are being labeled as the haters. When we're the ones who are talking about love all the time, we have to understand if there is no God, and he, or if there is a God and he says he's got no problem with it, whether you like it or not is irrelevant. Love is good. 
But if there is a God and he said he's got a problem with it, that's what we have to deal with. That's what we're dealing with today. But he didn't consult me. <laughs> Instead, he said what he said with, an with a love infinitely deeper than any of us has ever fully known. And for, the believe and for believing and trusting this, I and people like me are now suspended from our teams, fired from our TV shows, disqualified from ever leading a public company, mocked for standing up for what we believe. God has asked us to believe, and who knows what comes next. Well, I love those who hate me, and I will not stop loving them ever, no matter what. I will not celebrate what he has told me is not his best, no matter how many or how much others insist that they know better than me or God. Instead, I will continue to love everyone who is having trouble truly following God, which includes me. That's always that. Boy, if you're going to point your finger, make sure you know the three that are pointing back. We have all gone our own way and fallen short of the better that he has for us. I am no better and no worse than anyone else, so I will love with the compassion, forbearance, and undeserved mercy with which God has loved me. I will continue to pray, forgive us, Father. We know not what we do, even if we think we do. Help us, save us all from ourselves. We could not need you more, loving God. Please, please, please help us. And when I said that, what I mean is, is also in this context, please, 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 God, show us how to engage people that we love with love, your love. You know that if Jesus was here, he would engage this in a way that would be profitable and that all of us would go, wow. That was righter and better than what I was doing. Well, he is here now. And if we will but lay down all the rest so that we can pick up the best, we'll get it too. So that's what we're going after today. Uh, Jenny Yalkowski is the person who's praying for us, and this is wonderful. I love Jenny as a prayer warrior and the whole thing. So thank you, Jenny, for praying. Lift up another church too. So, Lord, in Jesus' name, I just pray that you would cover Kurt, that you would give him eyes to see and ears to hear, that he would be able to follow you by the Spirit this morning. Lord, that you would take the things that are of Kurt away and just let the things that you want said remain. Amen. And, Lord, I pray that he would be able to speak of our true identity in you. And so we just ask a blessing on this sermon. We ask you to cover him and to cover the church. We pray against any backlash in Jesus' name. And Lord, I just want to lift up Kiliat HaKarmel in, in Israel, in Carmel, Israel, that you would just continue to bless that church, Amen. to continue to bring more people to your kingdom, Jews and Gentiles, Jews and Arabs alike. We ask that in your name. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jenny. That was a great prayer. You're going to probably want your notes, and if you, if you need some, do we have more in the ushers? I don't know if we do, but you're going to, you, well, I'm going to be going through quite a few different things here, and on the back of your bulletin, you can write down questions, and we're going to field some of those questions at the end, okay? So we're moving, and I do want to make something clear. I cannot possibly do all of this in one sermon, and, you know, I can't cover all the issues, but I got to tell you, I'm only trying to do, I'm trying to do this in one because I just don't think we need to spend three or four weeks on this. Because again, I'm just not interested in doing that. I think it's important to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, and we're going to do it today, okay? So with that said, please be writing down your questions. We're going to get to them, okay? If, and if you pray a lot, we'll get to more of them, okay? All right, now, the first thing we need to do is we need to establish just a couple of principles quickly. 
God's word is inspired. That means God breathed. Okay? Now what we say when we say that is 1st, 2nd Timothy. God said through Paul regarding scripture, all of it, Old and New Testament, every part of scripture is God breathed and useful one way or another, showing us truth, exposing our rebellion, correcting our mistakes, and training us to live God's way. And what we have to understand when we say that is, is that we have to understand that when he says scripture is profitable to train us up, to equip us to, for, for correction, for reproof, for all these kinds of things, what he's saying is something critical. There are two ways that we can approach the word. It is, I'm going to go to the word and I'm going to, I'm going to essentially make it say what I want it to say, or I'm going to interpret it the way that I want to interpret it. There's another way to come to the word, and that's to fall at its feet, understanding that it is God himself who has spoken. It is God breathed. It is inspired. The word, all of it, old and new. And that if I will come to the word humbly, if I will bend my knee, and if I will let that word inform me instead of me inform it, it will change my life. This is a plumb line. What does a plumb line do? When you're trying to build something, right, a cornerstone on a building or whatever you're doing, when you're trying to build something, what you do with a plumb line is you hang it, and then you would chalk it, and you can snap it and so on. But the bottom line is that you hang it, and what it does is that it hangs perfectly straight up and down, and then everything else that you do comes off of that perfectly straight up and down. What we have to understand about the word is it's a plumb line. It's perfect. It is the thing that God has left in the world for you and I to know what his heart is. Why? Because we are so susceptible to wandering off in some other direction for good reason. Not, a, not the best reasons, but we, we use our intellect and we move it around and we end up somewhere off in the weeds somewhere. And what God is saying is come back to the word and understand if what you're saying doesn't line up with the word, then it isn't true. And I use that pun intended. True to the plumb line. True to the truth of God. You see it? So the word is a plumb line in our life. In fact, it's more than just that. Watch this. One of the reason why I'm making such a big deal about this, you're going to see me. I'm going to lay out 12 different arguments that people have throughout this thing. And one of the arguments that people have for same-sex relationships is Jesus did away with the law. There's this Old Testament angry, mad God, and there's this New Testament tolerant, loving God. And that's what it's about, see? That Old Testament doesn't mean anything. We don't have to pay any attention to it. That's one way that people will handle this. Because the law has been totally overcome by the love and the compassion and the tolerance that Jesus showed. Now here's why that just simply is, doesn't stand. Why that is not true. And the reason is really simple. Jesus' heart towards the law. Jesus, Jesus himself. Do not think I've come to abolish the law of the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Take the message here. Don't suppose for a minute that I've come to demolish the scriptures, the truth, the thing that God said earlier. Either God's law, either God's law or the prophets. I'm not here to demolish, but to complete. I'm consistent with all of that. I may have taken it further than it went, than what you understood it went, but when I said it, this is what I meant. And I want you to get the fullness of what I meant, and, I get, and we get that in Christ. But the point is, is that, is that yes, the law becomes a tutor to us and that we could never fulfill it. But then Jesus comes and says, and it's so much more than that. 
And so if you couldn't even fulfill it in the simplistic way that you understood it, you really can't fulfill it in the fullness that I intended it. But do understand something. That's why I make you new. I make you able to fulfill it in me because I make you a new creature and I put the Holy Spirit in you and he's the one who helps you do that. So what he's saying is, don't, so I'm not here to demolish, but to complete, I'm going to put it all together. I'm going to pull it all together in a vast panorama. And you're going to see from the old to the new that it's consistent. In fact, watch this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word became flesh. Now, technically what that means is, in the very beginning, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and God said, let there be light. And that said, let there, those words, let there be light, he's saying that that is the manifestation of God in the physical realm, Christ, that is making everything. So we understand that technically this is not about the word, the Bible, that we say. But we also understand in ways that are, if I was doing a whole sermon on this, I would take you right through and show you. But when we call it the word, one of the reasons why we call it the word is not because it's just the words that God said. It's because it's the words that God breathed which is what Scripture is. This is His will, and this is the physical manifestation of His will. See it? So when we say that Jesus somehow did away with the old, what we're saying is, is Jesus was, if he, if he did something that contradicted what was in the old, He's contradicting Himself. Because He is what the old was. In fact, let me show you how this works. The incarnation is what we call it. Jesus, God, who is spirit, becomes flesh. Physical. Okay? So take it apart. Incarnation. Carn. Carn is that word for flesh. Okay? So the, technically it's in flesh manifestation. Jesus is the spirit that is God manifested in the flesh. Flesh. Now when we look at the word... And that in the beginning was the word thing. One of the things that's being said is this. It's an in-ink nation. Or let me tell you, in-ink manifestation. Now, I understand that they didn't have ink back then. But you get my point. It's a written down thing. And what God did was is that he, he wrote those things down. And we have to understand this. This is fascinating stuff, not for today. But when you go back and see why did certain books get chosen for the Bible when there was all these other books out there too, here's why. Because thousands of people now over thousands of years recognized that there was something about that particular writing that wasn't just the person. It had their personality in it. Luke has Luke's personality in it. But that there was something in it that goes to another level and we hear another voice than just the author's. We hear God's voice in it. And you can pick up one of those books that didn't make it in the Bible and read it and you'll go, ew. I don't like this because you're literally hearing another voice than that author's and it isn't God. See what I mean? So God is consistent old to new and we have to hold on to this truth. So when somebody comes along and says, oh well, you know, th th it's no issue between the old and the new, t or there's, this, there's this thing that's old and we can just get rid of it all and we only, we only have to go with the new, that is a violation of the fullness of what Scripture, the Word, actually is. The Word is Christ manifest in words. God breathed to inform, to correct, to transform us. And over the millennia, people that will come to it with a bent knee and humbly have found the Word 
to be the single most transformative thing that there is in the world. Remember Reveal Study, the one that we do on so many things with? Reveal says the number one thing that any Christian can do is read the Word. It will bring more fruit and more growth than any other single variable. Not a commentary about the Word. Not a devotional written by somebody else. Reading the Word itself changes us. He's writing himself upon our hearts. Okay? So, God's word is God breathed, and that means your opinion doesn't matter. Thank you, Adam Obonsky, for your sermon last week. Thank you for that line. Your opinion doesn't matter. I know that that is like a horribly un-American thing to say. Right? You know what I mean? My opinion is everything, except when it comes to God's. And then your opinion doesn't matter. You saying I don't agree doesn't change the truth of what he said. Right? I mean, what we have to do is line up with his truth, not the other way around. He's, it's not incumbent upon him. You don't agree? Oh, well, then I'll change my mind, says God. If we're Christians, what we have done is take on the name of Christ, which as we looked at a couple of weeks ago, we're Christ's. We've taken on his name. And what that means is this. Lord, if you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. What does Lord mean? And believe in your heart that he's been raised from the dead, then you'll be saved. If you confess with your mouth that he's Lord, here's what you're saying. I have been born a free will being, and in my free will, I say that you are now my Lord, God. And not you, Alex, because that would be a bummer. <laughs> Nothing personal. But what he's saying very clearly is he's saying that we need to make him Lord. This is why we can't say, well, you know, I just don't agree with the Bible. That's Jesus you're not agreeing with. What we do is it's a person who has authority, control, power over others, meaning us. A master, a chief, a ruler, and I love this last word, a decider. You know, again, how un-American is this? I'm, I'm telling you that as a Christian, you don't get to make your decisions for yourself. Why? Because the heart is just stinking. The things that you want aren't going to lead you to God. They're going to take you somewhere else. All of us, even now, as new creatures. So we have to give over in our free will to say, you're Lord and you get to decide for me. Your Holy Spirit tells me what to do and I do that because you told me. That's why I do what I do and that's the only thing I do. Jesus said, all I do is say what I hear the Father saying and do what I see him doing, period. And he's the example for how we're to live. Jesus himself humbled himself to the point where he let God be his decider. So that's the way that we're supposed to live. Non-Christians believe anything they want. Christians believe God and his word. Otherwise, honestly, respectfully, but truthfully consider. If you're somebody who says, I know what the word says, but I just disagree with it, you have to question whether or not you're a Christian. Because Christian means to take on his name and his lordship in your life. Okay? I tell you the truth, anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God is like a child. Anyone, I tell you the truth, anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. You see what we are? Even though we think we're adults, even though we think we know better, even though we think we're wise and we think we're so intelligent, what God is saying is, is if you don't receive it as a child, if you don't receive it as a child, what's a child do? Daddy's teaching me. What is a child? Right? A child is like, you know everything. 
They find out quickly we don't. But, you know, a child in the natural says, you know everything, right? And they want to learn from us until they don't because they find out we don't know everything. But we have this really great one who does know everything. And what we need to do is become as a child to him so that he's the one that's teaching us and not us trying to teach him. So the last principle is God who made us is a superb communicator. We're going to call this, can I call this the obvious test? Because when we look at these various things that people argue, we're going to say, is it obvious and plain? Or do we have to be really sophisticated intellectual scholars in order to really understand the point of all of these word plays and everything else? See what I'm saying? Here's what God did. He made us. He knows us. And he communicated with us in the way that he made us. Which is to say that when God communicates with us, you can be a scholar and spend the rest of your life understanding the depths of what it means, but you can also have an IQ of 60 and read the word and know what it means. Truly. He wrote it so that the simplest could read and know. And that the brightest could explore it for the whole of their lives to the depths of what it's saying. But the obvious test is saying... If, it, if you have to get really complicated to get that meaning, it probably isn't the right meaning. The obvious plain meaning is most likely the actual meaning. Okay? All right. There we go. That's our principles. Now we're launching into, we've already done Jesus did away with the law. We've already seen how that is not a good argument for it. You can't, you can't make two different gods. It's one God, one book, one consistent heart throughout. Number two. Barely mentioned in the scripture, so it's not a big deal. Here's the argument. This is a Huffington Post article. I could have got this from anywhere. There are 250 verses on the prophet. By the way, as a scholar, I do know the difference between writing Huffington Post and the guy that actually wrote the post. But I'm just trying to keep it simple, okay? There are 250 verses, verses on the proper use of wealth, more than 300 on our responsibility to care for the poor and work for justice. And you appreciate quickly that homosexuality was not exactly a major theme of the Bible. You see the argument? What they're saying is God mentions it seven times in Scripture, and he mentioned these other things 300 times, so that's what he cares about because he talked about it a lot. Well, that's just stupid. Think about it. I'll tell you something right now that God didn't talk a lot about. This one right here, it's in the same, the exact same chapter and list as the one about homosexuality. Do not violate your father by having sexual relations with your mother. She's your mother. You must not have sex with her. Okay? Now, here's what the Bible does not do. 500 times, don't have sex with your mother. Hey, remember that. Don't have sex with your mother. Don't, that sex with your mother. Don't do that sex with your mother thing. Does he have to say it over and over? Why not? Because all of us kind of get that we shouldn't be having sex with our mother, don't we? I really hope so. If you don't, definitely get in touch with me, okay? We, I'd love to talk to you, okay? But do, but do you see it? He doesn't have to make, he doesn't go around. He talks about murder quite a lot, but here's what he doesn't do. Don't murder. Don't murder. Oh, don't forget, don't murder. Why? Because we know we're not supposed to be murdering. Now, people who want to make the argument that this same-sex attraction is okay are saying, well, he didn't make a big deal about it. But he actually did make a big deal about it. Because here's what he says. You shall not lay with a male as with a woman. It's an abomination. In the whole list of all the things he says not to do, it's the only time in that list that he says, this is an abomination. This is a problem for me. Okay? And not just because I don't like it, because I'm homophobic. It's because he has 
a better way. And he's saying this is a violation of that better way with something that's pretty powerful. Name me something in your life that's more powerful as a, as a motivator and so on than sex. Somebody said Blackberry. That was hilarious. <laughs> but you catch the drift? Sex is an incredibly powerful thing in our lives. And so God is talking to us about all the different ways that we can do sex, and he's saying, this does not fulfill my will, and one of them is this one, and he makes a point to make a big point about it. Again, two chapters later, when he says in Leviticus again, if a man has sex with a man as one does with a woman, both of them have done what is abhorrent, and they must be put to death. Wow. How un-PC of you, God. They are responsible for their own deaths, even. Wow. Do you think God made a big deal of it? I don't know. He said, kill them. Does that feel like a big deal? Because it does to me. Now, here's what people will say. Well, you see, he wasn't talking about what we now consider to be same-sex relationships, a loving monogamous. We know that not all LBGT issues have to do with loving monogamy. We know that there's bathhouses and there's this wanton sexual behavior and so on. And that stuff is bad. We can all agree on that. But this other thing, well, that's not so bad. See, God is against sexual violence and inhospitability. This is actually a really powerful argument that somebody made. And when I say really powerful, I mean that it seeped into the culture hugely. That the problem with Sodom and Gomorrah, and this is the argument that the guy makes, the, 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 the argument about Sodom and Gomorrah was about the fact that you weren't, you, that you, there was a justice issue and that you were violating the laws of hospitality. Because, you know, in the ancient days, they didn't have hotels and motels. So if you got taken into someone's house, it was on their life to protect your life. We saw that in the, if you saw that movie about the Afghanistan guy and the Pashons took him in, and they have a code, and this guy was willing to die for the American soldier. That still is alive in the world today. This spirit is. And so the point is, is they'll say, look, th th what God's talking about that he has a problem with is this kind of behavior. This is what they'll say. This is, this is the three that have come to visit Abraham, right? And he said, if there's only ten, will you still destroy Sodom? And so they go into Sodom, and they go to Lot's house. Before they retired for the night, all the men of Sodom, young and old, came from all over the city and surrounded the house. And they shouted a lot, where are the men who came to spend the night with you? Bring them out to us so that we can have sex with them. And they lunged towards Lot to break down the door, but an angel stopped them. Now, by the way, there's a second story, which I'm not going to put up. But there's a second story that parallels this that happens a little bit later, where a guy is traveling, and he goes in, and he's under the protection of the person that he's staying with. And the men of the city come to have sex with him. And finally, he puts the concubine, the owner of the house, puts his concubine out, and they rape her to death. And this guy ends up, well, I won't go into it, it's too gruesome. But the bottom line is, 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 see, what they're saying is they're saying that kind of stuff, we all understand that's bad, right? You know, this wanton sexuality and all that kind of stuff, that's bad. So what, the, so what people will say who say God doesn't have a problem with same-sex relationships, he just has a problem with people getting out of control, see? Now, what the problem is, is that it just doesn't hold up, and the reason why it doesn't hold up is I could do 22, but I'm, I won't. You shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It's an abomination. Notice something very carefully here. Here's what he doesn't say. If you have a same-sex attraction, you're a horrible human being. He doesn't say that, does he? And he's not saying, if you go out and do all kinds, of, if you do wanton sexual behavior, he's not saying that, is he? How much simpler could he make this? What's the plain and obvious test? The plain and obvious test, if you lie with a male as with a woman, it's an abomination. 
This is not about context. This is not about culture. This is not about Sodom. This is about if you lie with a man as you would with a woman, that's a problem. Do you see how simple it is? He's just saying the behavior is the problem. We'll get to the orientation in a moment. But be clear about something. He never says that I hate the person who's oriented that way. That's the one thing he never does say. He just says if you act on it and you do this, I don't like that. And it doesn't matter if it's a gang rape situation of Sodom and Gomorrah or if it's two people that love each other. Do you see that? You cannot get around the plain and obvious meaning of the words. You just can't. I could go much deeper on this. If you want me to, privately I will. But God is against sexual violence. It just doesn't hold water. In fact, then what they'll say is, look, really what's going on here, see, the Bible doesn't talk about homosexuality the way we now understand it. I want to follow this. This is a fairly subtle argument, the most subtle that I'm using today. Again, there's lots of them out there. Any reference to same-sex practice by a biblical writer or Greco-Roman writer has no knowledge or understanding of the concept of same-sex orientation. Now, that's just nonsense. This guy's saying that the Bible doesn't speak to a same-sex orientation. Did people in old times, there was wanton sexual behavior, we got that. But was there never anybody who was just attracted to other people other, of the same gender? Is it true what he says when he says there's no Hebrew or Greek cognate word in the biblical text to reflect the modern term, same-sex orientation, only because you say so, Mr. Author? The reason why there isn't is because there is. You just don't like the one that is. So you say there's nothing that really fits my category of what it should be. Moreover, there were no discussions or arguments concerning sexual orientation in the ancient world and late ancient world. That's just nonsense. Conversations that would only, we would only arrive at in the modern area of psychology. Here's what he's saying. Until psychology came along, now if you really pushed him on this, this is the, the absurdity of his own argument. If you really pushed him, what he's actually saying is close to this. It's not exactly this, but it's very close to it. He's saying, until psychology came along, there were no same-sex orientations. I mean, people were so stupid that they didn't understand that some people were attracted to people of the same gender. It was just lust. I don't know how to divorce lust from attraction. Right? I mean, again... What he's saying is he's saying psychology is the marker, and now there's this thing that we understand to be the same-sex orientation, and, but nobody ever talked about it back then, and here's what the point is. Yes, they did all the time. And the way that they talked about it was, is, this, is that God said, you shall not lie with a man as with a woman. <laughs> We're going to see this again later, but I just want you to understand, you can't just say something, and then because you said it, it's true. When he says it took psychology for us to understand same-sex orientation, do you think that human beings 2,000 years ago didn't understand that some people had a same-sex orientation? Does it pass the obvious test? It doesn't, does it? So at some point in time, we have to say, well, I appreciate the subtlety of your argument, but it doesn't hold water because it's just not true. Now, again, I'll go into it in a little bit as we keep going, but we're rolling along. Then here's what they'll say. They'll say, well, that list, you know, that Old Testament list, there's lots of stuff we don't do in there anymore. It's not true. There's two primary things that we don't do anymore. There's some other little subtle things, and I could go into all of them, but let me just pick off the two so that you'll understand. People will say, literally all the time, they'll say, well, we eat shellfish now. Don't you like a good lobster? Lobster is, by the way, let me make it clear, lobster and crab are both butter delivery 
mechanisms. <laughs> Lobster all by itself, who cares? Fairly tasteless, not even like chicken. But it delivers butter great. Right? Okay, never mind. All right. Dietary restrictions. We eat shellfish now. And, the, and that, those lists of things back there said don't eat shellfish. What was shellfish and, and pork and so on? What were they? What were they called? Unclean. Understand what God was doing back there. He was saying, look, there's things in the world. We could, we could go, we could take it this way. We could say, the reason why God says don't eat shellfish and pork and so on is because we all know those are acidic meats. Well, we know that now, but they didn't know that then. Like a grass-fed cow is, is, is uh, not neutral, but what's the other? Alkaline. But, but a shellfish and pork and so on, all those things that he said, were, they're actually bad for you. Right? They hurt your cholesterol and things that we know now, right? So the bottom line is, you can go that direction with it, but I, but I want to take you to what the heart of it was. The heart of what God did in a, a dietary restriction, he said, there's all this stuff out there in the world, and if you take that stuff in, it's bad. Not, I'm not pointing at you, I'm pointing at the ground right now. If you take that stuff in, it's bad. See? It's unclean. It will defile you. What he's doing is he's causing the Jewish people at every single meal to have to remember that there's bad things in the world and don't take them in. Do you see it? That's what that's about. And then when he comes to Paul, now watch, watch. The reason why he's doing this in the Old Testament is because what he's saying is simple. He's saying, I want you to be separate from people who are defiled in the world because I want to show people what a holy people looks like or, as the case actually was, I want to show people what people trying to be holy actually looks like. Because what they did was they tried and failed. But I want the whole world to watch this experiment that I'm doing with one people so that you can learn how all of us actually are. Do you see that? And now what God does when he comes to the New Testament, Peter, he brings down this sheet and there's all these animals into it. What does Peter say? I would never eat that. I've never touched anything. I've never put anything to my lips that was unclean, right? And God says, eat. No, I would never do that. Eat. And then what did he do? Go with these guys to a Gentile pig's home. The Gentiles were pigs. They were unclean. Go to this Gentile pig's home and tell him about me. Because after Christ, God is no longer just doing it with one people to show the world who he was and what he looks like and what a relationship with him is. Now he's doing it with everybody. So those dietary laws are not just done away with and just ignored like it's no big deal. We have strong theology that points us to what God was trying to tell us, which was he had people understand that there was unclean things, and we still today understand that there's unclean things, right? But now we know it as the Spirit leads us and makes us to understand that this is a lot more than about food. Because food was never really the point. It was just a way of getting people to do something and be mindful of something. We could make it about food, in which case we're superficial and stupid. Or we could make it about God trying to help us be holy. Which is the second one. People go into and they say, we mix clothing fibers. The law says you're just not supposed to mix those fibers. Well, what's, what's the point of that? Just think about it for a second. Why is God saying that? I'm choosing a people to be separated unto me, and I want you to be pure. I don't want you to mix with the world. I want you to be pure, undefiled, one thing. Do you see it? And now when we get to the New Testament, we have been made new. 
and we are. By His grace, and we are in reality to the degree that we actually obey. You see, the New Testament thing is not doing away with the old, it's fulfilling it. What is purity? What is holiness? What is being defiled? What are all these things? They had it in their lives every day through food and clothing. We have it in our lives every day because we have the Holy Spirit telling us this is unclean, this is unholy, this is pure, this is good. Think on this. You see it? So it's just nonsense to say that. And you can take every one of them, by the way, and do this with it. Every one that anybody would say in that list, it's not a big list. They say, oh, we do all kinds of things. We don't. That's not true. Most of the things we still do. We still don't murder. We still keep God first. We're still not supposed to steal our neighbor's goods, and we're not supposed to covet their wife. It's all still in play. Well, okay, then the problem is, Kurt, it's relevant only to that particular time and place that the Israelites faced in the Old Testament. Can I just say, you see what they're saying is it's like the Sodom and Gomorrah thing, and it really is that argument being recycled again, just in a different way. Look, God was upset about the Sodom and Gomorrah thing, and so he said these things to get us out of it. I can see people moving, so I'll, I don't know if it'll pick up pace or not, but anyway. Look, you shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It's an abomination. It's not cultural. It's factual. Did you do that? Well, then that's bad. Did you not do that? Okay. But, see, what people will do is they'll say, it wasn't just in the Old Testament, because the New Testament clearly talks about it as being problematic too. So it's relevant only that particular time and place that Paul faced in his time. See, we're just going to contextualize everything away. And, and sure enough, here's what we got, okay? Look, right, the, the, the key point right here is Corinth, right? Uh oh, dang it. I knew I wasn't going to get that right. Uh, I don't know how to press it. But you see Corinth right there almost in the middle? You see it right there? And then you see Ephesus right across the street from it, right across the little land there. And do you see Rome up there to the left? Okay, the, the, you know the saying, all roads lead to Rome? These, this is the route. See the route that Paul took on his journey, his third missionary journey? That's the purple one. He's walking on the Roman roads. And you see where it goes to? It goes to Ephesus. And what would happen is trade from the Far East and so on would come over land to Ephesus. They would put it on a boat, and then they would sail it in the safety of those islands over to Corinth, where they would port it over a little isthmus, and then they would go down that protected thing, and then across that open stretch right there to get to Rome. And that was the safest way for things to travel. That was the main thoroughfare of trade to happen. Now, when you've got a lot of tradesmen who are gone a long time from their wives... And then there's a few major metropolitan areas that are getting shipping lanes and travel lanes. What tends to happen where there's a lot of guys that have been working really hard and haven't seen their wives for a few months? When they get to the big port, what happens? Okay, you got brothels, right? Well, so these both had this. Ephesus had the Temple of Diana, and Corinth had the Temple of Aphrodite. Anybody heard that name before? What's it mean? Love, sex. Right? That's what this is. And these were temples to there. And what that meant was they had these temple prostitutes in them. And these prostitutes would sleep with people. And it was guys with guys and girls with girls and girls with guys and guys with animals and everything else. Okay? It was anything you wanted to do, there it was. And so what people will say is what Paul is talking about is that abominable stuff. Right? Now we've already dismissed it in the Old Testament, but do watch something here. I want you to see a parallel. Watch this. In the Old Testament, we saw in chapter 18, you shall not lie with a male to the woman. It's an abomination. But then in chapter 20, do you see how he ups the ante? 
If a man has sex with a man who's with a woman, both of them have done what's abhorrent, and they'll be put to death. You see, there's two things that are said about it, and the second one is more serious than the first one. Now watch what happens in the New Testament. Watch this. The first time, 1 Timothy 9, 1, 9 through 10. Understanding this, the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the whole unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers. Now watch this. The sexual immoral is one word, and then there's a second word, men who practice homosexuality. That's a second word. Okay? Enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whoever else is contrary to sound doctrine. Now you see what he's saying right there? And we'll get to whether or not that actually means what we think it means, because people say it doesn't mean what it obviously means. But bottom line is, do you see it in there? This is the way, well, I'll get to that in a second. Okay? Now, do you see what, how it says it? Now watch this. Remember, the first one is just saying it's bad. But the second one ups the ante. Here in the New Testament, don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit God's kingdom? Does that sound like a upping the ante to you? One way is you haven't kept to God's code. The other one is, is you're, you're not going to get into God's, you're not going to get into heaven. That's worse, right? Don't be deceived, not sexually immoral people, idolaters, adulterers, or anyone practicing homosexuality. No thieves, greedy people, drunkards, verbally abusive people, swindlers will inherit God's kingdom. That's what it says. You can't make it say something else. Not that people won't try. But did you see the pattern here? In the Old Testament, you had it said twice, and the second one elaborated on the first one. In the New Testament, you have it said twice, and the second one elaborates more fully. It's the same pattern. Here's what God's doing. He didn't talk about it a lot, but he talked about it enough. He set the same pattern in the old as he did in the new because he was trying to tell us something. It's the same thing. Clear? I don't have to say it again, right? See? Now watch. The words don't mean those things that the translators and scholars say they mean throughout history. Those words about practicing homosexuality, what that word is, here's what they'll say. That means something totally different than we mean today. Okay? Now, the first thing that you have to do, the obvious test. Thousands of years we've been translating the scripture. Teams of a hundred scholars or more will work on a typical English translation now. Scores of people. Do you think that those people have never heard? There's new Bible translations coming out all the time. The ESV is one that just came out. Do you think that the translators of the ESV were unaware of the fact that some people are making an argument about that word being used there as being a derogatory, blatant, bathhouse-type sexual activity as opposed to a same-sex attraction? Do you think that those hundred translators that worked on the ESV were aware that there was a dispute about that word? Because I can tell you right now for certain they were. And here's what they did. They looked carefully at it and they said, I know that people are trying to make it say that it means this one kind of activity, but it just doesn't. In fact, as, a, as just in one, one way of dealing with this, the New Bible Dictionary is generally considered to be a very liberal publication and one that is very sensitive to and open to a lot of these LGBT issues. Okay? But here's how they take that word and work with it. What, they, what the guy says that writes this article in the New Bible Dictionary, the whole list in the First Timothy 1, 9 through 10 represents an updated version of the Ten Commandments. Paul parallels the Seventh Commandment or adultery with a reference to two different things. Remember I said two words? Immoral persons and sodomites. Now we, when we hear sodomites, that sounds like, wow, that's really bad, right? 
But that was the way that people talked about the behavior of two men making love together. Words which will cover all sexual intercourse outside of marriage, whether heterosexual or homosexual. This is an article by a liberal publication, essentially. And what they're saying is, you can do all you want to try and make the words say that it doesn't mean what we would consider to be homosexuals today, or gay now, because that other words do, right? We've got to keep changing the language. But the bottom line is, it does mean that. And scholars looked at it, and they just say it, the arguments against this are not compelling. So it's clearly talking about that. And we can see this in more detail because one of the, the people that makes this argument says something in regards to Romans 1.18. God abandoned people to their shameful desires. Even the women turned against the natural way to have sex and indulge in sex with each other. And the men, instead of having normal sexual relations. Now, normal sexual relations and natural way... That's the same word there. And what they'll say is, is, actually, I know the second one is the word that I'm talking about, and I think it's the same one on the other one. But the point is, is that that word, this guy will say, well, that doesn't have to be a negative connotation. In other words, he finds a use in the Bible where it's the natural way, but it doesn't mean natural way as in a violation of the natural way. It just is a neutral word. It doesn't mean anything bad. But does the rest of the context mean bad things? <laughs> It, it, it's absurd. In, in English, if this is the one problem if you use the Amplified Bible. The Amplified tells you all the things that a word could mean. It doesn't mean that it meant that. I, could, I use puns. I, we use word plays. We talk in them constantly, all of us naturally. A word means what we think it to mean in its obvious sense. Now, sometimes we mean it to be a word play or a double entendre or whatever else we want to do. But the point of the matter is because a word might be neutral doesn't mean it's neutral here. And the reason why is because the context is not neutral. The context is judgmental. The context is this is a problem. In fact, I'm not going to go through the whole thing, but I just want to show you. Here's what God's really talking about here. This is getting to that best thing. Romans 1 through 18 starts out like this. God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who do what? They push the truth away from them. They push the truth down in them. They don't want the truth because it doesn't comport with what they do want. They know the truth about God because he's made it obvious to them. Ever since the world was created, people have seen the sky and the earth in the sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature. We can look at the goodness of what he created and know who God is in every dimension. Uh, his, so they have no excuse for not knowing God. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him God or even give him thanks. They began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like so that they could get what they wanted. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their heart desired. Do you see the process here? Do you see the context? What he's saying is you push the truth away from you and you'll find something. <laughs> and it'll even feel to you like true. But it doesn't mean it's true. So what he says is they traded the truth about God for a lie. They worshiped and served the things God created instead of the creator himself who's worthy of eternal praise. Amen? That is who, why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. Even the women turned against the natural way to have sex and instead indulged with sex with each other. And the men, instead of having normal sexual relations with women, burned with lust for each other. Men did shameful things with each other. And a result of this, sin. See it? Paul says sin. 
Paul was God-breathed. God is saying it's sin. You've pushed the truth away from yourself in order to get what you want. And that's not good. And it's not just the gay community who does that. That's why I showed you that post. I do it all the time. I want this, so I'm going to push that away. And when I do, I become stupid, dark, and confused because I'm trying to justify what my heart is telling me can't be justified. And that, by the way, is the reason for gay pride because it's not enough. It's not enough. If I feel bad, it's got to be somebody's fault. I feel like something's wrong here, and so it's your fault because you're judging me. If you quit judging me, then I wouldn't feel bad anymore. So stop judging me. Boy, you know, people stop judging me and I still feel bad. This is the end of Romans 18, chapter 1. In the end, what they'll do is that they say, you have to do it too. Because if we're all doing it, then none of us can feel bad about it. How many people know that we can all be doing something and all be feeling bad about it? Right? Happens all the time. His conscience is what it is. We can harden our conscience against it, but it's still there. That's why he says it's on us. We all sin, God forgives, so same sex is forgiven. Right? Good argument, right? We all sin, what's the problem? We all get forgiven, right? Here's how one guy says it. Watch this. This is, this is, Nault is not at all like that, Christians. You know, we're not those right-wing, judgmental, horrible Christians. The Bible does not condemn homosexuality. Heterosexual Christians are being, that was the title of the article. Heterosexual Christians are being unbiblical by using the clobber passages, the ones I've been reading to you, Timothy and Deuteronomy and so on. The clobber passage is a justification for applying absolute standards of morality to homosexual sins that they themselves are not tempted to commit. That's true, I'm not tempted to have sex with a man. While at the same time, except for themselves, a standard of relative morality for those sins listed in the clobber passages that they do routinely commit. Nailed me. That's me. Right? But here's what the problem with that argument is. Here's what we don't do. There's a bunch of people sitting in this room right now and listening to me who do not have the gift of celibacy, which is a gift from God. They do not have that gift. And they're single. And they're heterosexual. And they really, really, really would like to have, make love with somebody. And God says what? No. Sorry. In fact, the reason why people are unmarried is because so many people are having sex with each other that somebody who won't put out can't get a date. That's how, oh, damn it. Sorry, sorry. This just kills me. I told you once before, I was, sitting in a, I was sitting in a Bible study down in L.A., and this girl who was just beautiful and fun and wonderful, Julie knows her well too, and we were sitting there praying, and this girl worked in a hospital, and she just wouldn't put out, and so she couldn't get a date in L.A., and God spoke to me while I was in that. Well, we were praying, and God said to me, he said, what you 
guys think I'm really upset about is abortion. And he didn't say he wasn't upset about that. But he said, you want to know something that really ticks me off? My beautiful daughter can't get a date because everybody is screwing each other, and she won't put out, and so she can't get a date. <laughs> oh, God, it just makes me so angry. I just can't even begin to tell you. It just, it just it, it grieves me. It is horrible. I grieve for the woman and the man who would love to have a mate and to be able to couple and be intimate and do this kind of thing, and it is wonderful, and you know that it's wonderful because some of you are that way because of divorce and so on. But here's what we don't do in Christianity. We don't say, well, because you really want to do it, it's okay, go ahead and do it. We just don't do that. Why? Because God says something incredible about people who are going through the hardest things. If you will persevere, there is a greater reward the people who go through the hardest things are the ones who come to know him the deepest. That's what's true about Christianity. That's the better plan. We don't say, go ahead and do what you want because it's such a drag not to. We say, hang in there, persevere, find how to rely on God in something that is incredibly difficult. And when you do, the love that you have for him will be greater than the one who gets to have sex. And that's true. But you see, in this argument with, with, with the sexuality, it's a given that you should be having sex. And if you want to have it with same gender, then why are you denying me same gender? I'm not denying you same gender. I'm denying everybody. <laughs> do you see it? but for a reason, for something better, for something rich, for something that is incredibly difficult, a valley of the shadow of death to be sure. But in the middle of your enemies, your table gets prepared where your cup is running over and your head's anointed with oil and goodness and mercy follow you. This is who God is and this is what he does. And that kind of argument doesn't even get thrown into the match when you're coming from these kinds of, of, of things. Do you see it? It's, it's ridiculous what the argument is. And, then, and there's the other part of it. And the bottom line is, if God has a better way still on the gender issue, even if people are making the mistake, here's the key to a Christian. A Christian is repenting of their sins. They're not saying, I'm doing this, and I'm same gender, and so I'm just going to do it because God must be okay with it because I'm same gender. Did, did you catch that? God is not saying it's... I can't even find my train of thought right now. I'm sorry. It'll come back to me. I'm going too long anyway. I'm getting freaked out about the time. Sorry. Look, they're tempted to commit at the same time accepting themselves a standard of relative morality. Oh, here's what the deal is. What we do as Christians, when we do something wrong, if a heterosexual has sex with another person, what are they supposed to do? What does repent mean? Repent means until you want to do it again and then go ahead and do it again and then say I'm sorry again and ask God to forgive you? Is that what repent means? No, what repent means is Jesus Christ died for you on the cross. Jesus Christ took the penalty for the decisions that you made to go your own way. And repent means to turn your foot without any intent of ever going back that direction. Now, as a heterosexual man who has, in fact, sinned, my intention is to repent and never go back that direction. And if I fail again, I repent again. Do you see it? But here's what I'm being asked to do if I'm going to buy into the same-sex relationship. I'm going to repent from what? 
that I had sex? Well, but I'm still going to have it because after all, I'm supposed to. Do you see it? He's ask, you're asking me to participate in something that I can't because God says I can't. So I'm not repenting of what God says. I'm just repenting of the part that I want and not the parts I don't want. I'm taking one from column A and one from column B because that's what works for me. I think God made a big deal about all sin. Right there. And we need to understand that if we understand what it is that God's going for. We need to understand Christ on the cross. Who am I to judge? Who am I to judge? I'm such a failure. Who am I to judge? Here's God through Paul. Don't you realize that someday we believers will judge the world? You know, right now God says, you're supposed to judge people in the community. When people are acting up, you're supposed to do something about that. And really what we're talking about right now is people in the community that are trying to get Christians to believe something that isn't there. And we're trying to say, that's not true. That's what I'm doing right now. Right? That's just not true. It doesn't hold water. But we say in a bigger sense, who am I to judge because I fail so much? And here's what God's saying. Don't you realize that someday God will judge, the, that, all, that we believers will judge the world? And since you're going to judge the world, can't you decide even little things among yourselves? Now, this is technically talking about, like, taking another Christian to court. But do you see why I'm using it? Who are you to judge? The person that God said was supposed to judge. God must love people with same-sex orientation because he made so many that way. And now be really careful here. Many people will say, well, there's so many, you know, 10% of the population is gay and so on. That's not true. Even, even with all the quote-unquote coming out of the closet and everything else, do you know that these numbers have stayed incredibly the same as to how many people are actually homosexual? It's 2%. But can I say something? Let's just say it's only one person in all the world that was made to have a same-sex orientation. We have to lovingly deal with that one person, don't we? So it doesn't matter that it's not 10% or 2% or whatever it is. What matters is, is that somebody has a sexual orientation that way. And can we at least be wise enough to understand that if throughout history 2% of the population has had a same-sex attraction, God is clearly making people with a same-sex attraction. It may not be genetic. It may not be something else. But there's something going on there that's doing that. A lot of it, we can argue, does come from child abuse and things like that. And that will set up sexual patterns in this thing that will cause people to do it. But there's other people that weren't abused and are just attracted to the same sex. And when that happens, do we understand that that's something that is in the world and that is something that's happening? And we have to be able to answer that case or our argument is not valid for all cases. Because that's the hard one. And here's the answer to it. God does love the person because he never says that he doesn't. And he says that he's love and he says that he loves us all. God so loved the whole world that he gave his only begotten son. God does love the person with the same-sex orientation. The only thing he said is don't act on it. And is that tough? I just told, told you how tough it was. So we need to have a big heart for somebody who's struggling with this. I've watched so many people fight this battle so hard, and my heart goes out to them. I do not fight the battle as hard as they do, period. And I thank God that I don't have to. But there is something for the one that does and perseveres. So with all of that, quickly, what's God's desire for us? What's his better way? I keep saying there's a better way. 
You've heard me say it a hundred times, so I'm not going to say it in any lengthy right now. God desires for us to love and other. God says in his word through Paul that marriage is a type for a relationship with him. And here's the key to it. You can get two people together of the same gender that have very different personalities, and will they learn from one another about how to work with other people, how to love another? Yes, they will. Two people of the same gender in a relationship will learn a lot about human nature themselves and other people and so on. They'll learn a lot. But here's why it comes down to that the sex really is the issue. Here's the one thing that no man will ever know, cannot ever know, what a woman feels when they're making love. A man cannot know that. Guess what a woman cannot know? What a man feels when he's making love. We can't do it. It's impossible. Men are from Mars, women are from Venus. That's just personality types. We're talking about totally different solar systems. We're talking about different universes. We're talking something that is impossible to do. And God is telling us that the only way that we can ever begin to approach it is if we stop being oriented to our own desire. There is something in same sex that has to do with, let's be clear, a guy knows what a guy wants, a girl knows what a girl wants, it can feel really good. That's not the issue. The problem with that is, is that I'm getting what I want because it's essentially that. The problem is when I come together with my wife, I have to get outside of myself. I have to go into an entirely different place. I have to learn what it is to love and other that I will never actually know. But the more that I get outside of myself, the more that I can press into who she is. Do you see it? That's why it comes down to that issue, sex making love. God is trying to teach us how to love an other. Why? Because he's the ultimate other. <laughs> There's no more other, a male and a female, as much as they're not like each other. Take God and us, and it's infinitely more so. And yet he's chosen to be in relationship with us and to bring us into relationship with him. And what he's trying to do through this marriage thing is he's trying to teach us how to love that other which is to say how to get outside of ourselves and how to come to understand more as fully as you possibly can who that other is. And when you do that, the interesting thing is you get more satisfaction than you can ever get by doing what you want. Now, I could go into that in a whole lot more detail, but I'm not going to. This is too graphic. First Corinthians, this is a big deal. The people that are involved in this behavior will not inherit God's kingdom. And there's people that are our friends, our family, our coworkers, our neighbors, people that we love that are in this. And if you love them, what are you supposed to do? You know, I know you really don't understand it, Mr. Heroin Addict. And so because you really don't understand how you need to be free from heroin, let me give you some heroin. Is that what we do as Christians? You know, they just want to be tolerant. Just be tolerant of me. Just love me. Yeah, you're right. Here. We don't do that, do we? We don't do that with ourselves. We say God has a better way, and we're calling each other. We're raising each other's hands. We're trying to help each other become the fullness of what God wants us to be, and that's something that we don't even understand. 
And so what he's doing when he says this is, is he's saying this. Let me tell you why you're here. You're here to be salt seasoning that brings out, God, that brings out the God flavors of this earth. Let, let me start over. Let me tell you why you're here. You're here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of this earth. You know how salt does that, right? If you lose your saltiness, how will people taste your godliness? In other words, if you won't, if you won't love people, if you won't come to them with the better thing that God has and they don't know it, if you won't help preserve their life with this salt and bring out the flavors that God intended, if you won't do that, you don't love them. You're not being God at all. You're not being God's heart at all. You've lost your usefulness and you're going to end up in the garbage. Here's another way to put it. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world, the things that people don't see. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand, and now that I've put you there on a hilltop on a light stand, shine. Keep an open house. Be generous with your lives. Be opening up to others. You'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. So that we never get prideful. That very verse that said, these people aren't getting into heaven. Some of us used to be just like this. I'd like to paraphrase that. All of us in one way at least are just like this. We have to start from who we are. Fallen. We have to understand that, that to, to beat on somebody isn't going to help them. But to, but to bring light, to bring salt, to bring out God flavors and God colors, to bring out things that they don't see, that's what we're here for. I'm in an impossible place right now. That's the 12 arguments. There's 100 of them, but they all can fit into most of those categories. I really wanted to do a long discussion. Uh, obviously, we don't have time for it. I'm tempted to do this. I'm tempted to close the service and anybody that needs to go, I love you. If you feel like you got what you needed, go ahead and go. But this is important. I really want to have the discussion. For those of you who would like to stick around, we'll do, let's say, 20 minutes or so of discussion so that you'll know about how long it'll last. Let's say 25 just to be careful. Does, does that work for everybody? Does that seem reasonable and the right way to handle the fact that your pastor just talks too stupid much? Okay? All right? So I'm trying to be sensitive to those who need to go and just want to go. If you're done, you heard what you needed to hear, that's great. Okay, I love you. And so, Lord, in Jesus' holy and precious name, don't, worship don't come up yet because we're going to, like I say, we're going to go right into this. But Lord, in Jesus' holy and precious name, we just come before your throne in such thanksgiving and praise. I want to thank you, God, that I feel like the thing that you laid on my heart to communicate got communicated. I know that there's better things to be communicated and the people are here, and I ask you for the discussion to be rich and full and wonderful. But God, right now what we do is, is as Christians, we reach down. Woodbury back there, okay? By the way, can I say something? This is not a time to tell everybody what you think about that thing. I'm really asking you to either ask questions. I guess I don't care. But you know what I mean? I, I want to, I just, anyway, I don't know. I'm not going to direct it. You go ahead, John. Go ahead. Okay. I'll limit it to a question. Oh, I, I, you know, whatever. Okay. 
is the term phobia as understood in psychology misapplied in the use of the term homophobia to express a criticism of what could be a rationally held view based on God's word or even our own observation of its full ramifications of these relationships in life. Yeah, I just want to say this simply. I, I get that you went to a complex place on that. I, I, that's you, and you're awesome. But, uh, but I want to say something. It, uh, when it, it was not uncommon for people to look at people that were engaged in that behavior and generally have a revulsion in their own heart towards it. And we could argue that that was God, but I would also argue that there was a level of that that was just, we don't like it. And that would be what homophobia is trying to do. Now, it gets applied to anybody who disagrees with it, even for godly reasons, and that's just not true. That's one of the big problems that we're having. It's not fair to say that I'm homophobic. It's not. It is fair to say, it, it, no more than it's fair to say that I'm racist, which the fact is, there is some things that I am racist about. You know what I mean? I don't know what they are, because if I did, I'd get the heck rid of them. But just by culture and everything else, there's things that go on inside of me that I don't like and so on. And I have to get over things that aren't a problem. So I, I didn't answer your question at all, John. I'm sorry. Okay. Do you want to say something more? Okay. Yeah. I, I'm, I think it was well taken what you were saying was, in the end, if somebody's trying to tell you that the thing that you believe because God said it is somehow because you're afraid of it, that's just not fair either. It's not okay to say that. Go ahead. Yeah, and you, you may choose not We're to. We're keeping all this on tape, Brad. Thank you. You may, you may choose not to answer this, Kurt, but I'm, I'm always curious why this is such a hot topic uh, politically, legally, morally, um, within the realm of Christianity when things like uh, um, witchcraft and Satanism, Satan worship, are things that, that occur around us as commonly as yeah. this does and, you know, barely breaks do, do the you surface. Remember, do you remember in my, in my thing, one of the things that I tried to address in this post was that this is the hotbed issue of the day. Uh, 20 years ago, it wasn't this. It was abortion. 20 years before that, I don't know what it was, but it was something else. And what, here's the key to it. When these things get to be hot topic issues, I don't look at them in the context which you just did, which is there's all kinds of other things wrong too. I look at why did God let that become the hot topic issue. And I want to say that almost every single time, not almost, every single time, there's something he's trying to bring to the Christian community too. He's trying to point something out in the world that's problematic. But he's also trying to bring something to us Christians to make us deeper and better, to make us the kind of Christians like Jesus that can walk into incredibly controversial places and be light and be salt in a way that people will say that's a friend and someone who loves me so I don't disagree with it. these other issues are big issues too it could God could have shined a spotlight on those and those would be the things that we would argue about and I suspect that one day we will be arguing about exactly that because it does seem to be as Romans 1 18 through the following points out it does tend to be a slippery slope doesn't it so it's kind of like one thing and then another thing and then another thing and then another thing you know and you could argue about if homosexuality is a, more of a slide down the slope than, say, abortion was. And I, I think you could argue that successfully in the end. Okay? And so there's something else coming that's even worse than this. Because this is, we're, you know, we're literally in, in a space of two to three years. This is over now. Okay? The only issue right now is do Christians know what to say? 
that Christians know how to talk and think and respond. But this is no longer an issue in the culture. This is over. Tipping point has happened. It's done. Okay? We don't, we don't come back from these places. Culture goes in one direction. God goes in the other direction. And that's just the way it is. Now, I'm not saying you don't go out and quote-unquote fight. What I'm saying is don't go fight. Go love. One person at a time. If a thing were ever to be reversed, it wouldn't be reversed because the moral majority got up and held signs on street corners. It would be reversed because people in love demonstrated one person at a time what, what it was. And by the way, mathematically, it takes less than, what is it, like 50 years to evangelize the entire world if everybody in three years would just have one person be discipled. Because exponentially what happens is, is that it grows so fast, you know, that first it's two, then it's four, then it's eight, then it's 16. And it only takes, I think it's, I don't know, what is it, 50, 60 years for the whole world to be totally evangelized. So this could reverse simply by us going out and loving people and really getting them to the place to where they actually did believe that that wasn't it and they did become an evangelist for that themselves. Go ahead. Where are we? Love your baby. I, I, said, I said nursery has to go into it. Oh! <laughs> so nice, good, good, quick delivery. Go ahead. Um, well, you just sort of... You got to stand up. I'm sorry, man. I know you hate that. Um, so at the end, you're sort of touching on, I guess, what we are to do and, and, and say to um, people in our lives that we love and care about very much. But what if they're not Christian? How do we bring that to them when it's not something they, you know what I mean? We can't use this yeah. as God has something better for yeah. you as, as, a, as, a, as a platform to go on, you know? I absolutely love that. And, and here's, here's the briefest answer I think I can give. It goes something like this. What we did today is we talked about it in the context of Christians and people that might be sensitive to Christian issues, like people that might not know that the Bible says this and so on. That's what we probably focused on. But here's the deal. The issue is not homosexuality. The issue is Christ. And so this becomes, right now what this has become, this debate has become so polarizing that you can't bring it up with a friend. And, by the way, what that also means is that they have a prejudice in their heart deeply against Christians and what they believe and think. So I want to take the negative and turn it into the positive that it's intended to be. If God's shining the light on it, there's a way for us to engage it that'll actually bring them to Christ. I don't think bringing a person out of homosexuality is going to do them any good if they end up in hell. What's the point, right? So the point is, it really is about Christ. And this can become a way of going after that. Look, I understand, for example, you, you know the Lord. Sorry, I'm talking to the empty chair again. Okay, I know that you don't know the Lord. I want to tell you, I understand why you think the way that you think, because if, if there is no God, you're not wrong. If there is no God, there's no problem with this, period. You can make the natural law argument. We won't reproduce. Here's the truth. Two to 10% of the population is gay. There's still plenty of people that are making babies. Okay, so it's not actually a compelling argument. We'll still population increase, Right? So the bottom line is, is what we're actually doing is we're saying, I understand that you, don't, that you don't get it, but can I tell you something incredible that I know because I know God? And all of a sudden, we can talk about what I just did. God's trying to teach us how to love and other. And we can do it through marriage, if particularly if they're married, because all of a sudden, we got this excellent access point. You know what it's like to be married. You know how hard it is, right? You know the difficulties of all this thing. And what God's trying to do is teach you how to love another. And if you understand that in the context of marriage, I want you to understand it's the same exact issue God has with it in the, in the same sex area. 
See what I mean? And all of a sudden, the very thing that became the, the most difficult, because God's shining the line on it, if we find his heart, we can get to it very profitably, I believe. And I want to tell you, I would hold up as proof on that, the post that I put on Facebook. Because I can tell you that there were several people that, that did post publicly back that are in the LGBTQ community. But there were also several people that contacted me privately. And we were able to have a, an incredible dialogue about it. And about a year and a half ago, I sent you, a, I passed out another thing that I did, which was a very, very long thing. Jim Henderson, anybody know Jim Henderson? He's a Christian who's very liberal and thinks that this stuff is good and so on. And I entered onto a discussion on that, and it ended up being quite a long one. I mean, like it was three or four pages worth of, of postings and so on. But that was in a community that is, sense, that is believing that this is true. And by the time I got done, every, literally the comments were, thank you for talking to us about it. I got one person that said this, this is the first time I've ever understood why Christians have a problem with this. You, you made me understand. I, and I'm not a Christian, and I still don't believe it, and so you haven't persuaded me. But the bottom line is, is now at least I understand why Christians say what they say, and it doesn't feel like hate anymore. It feels like, it feels like what I just tried to say. If you actually love a person, you're trying, right? You're praying. If, if we just go out there and, and foist our tracks on them and foist our opinions on them and foist even theology on them, that's not discerning. Christ was careful. He, was, he did what the Holy Spirit was leading. And so there comes that moment when it's time. And when it's time, you've prayed about it. You know, I, I would really say this. Are we praying for our friends and our neighbors, our, the people that we love? That's whether they're gay or not. <laughs> right? Are we praying for them? Because if we are, I'll tell you what will happen. God will either change them or he'll give you an opportunity to speak to them. And I always prefer that he changes them before you have to speak to them. And that's not because I'm afraid to speak to him. You know that. It's because it's better if God just changes them. See? So I think that the, the very things that we look at as the biggest problems can become the biggest opportunities. God's got a light on it. It's a hot button. We can use it. Okay, go ahead. Who else? Thanks. Um, so there's a friend of mine at my school that, that has put up the argument that homosexuality is a genetics thing, that it's ingrained into their brain so they can't not be homosexual. Right. Yeah. Uh, first of all, this is a really complicated answer. I'm trying to figure out the way to say it real simply. Even, even though at this point in time, according to DSM-3, you know what DSM is? DSM is the psychology book that you do in order to figure out if a person say bipolar versus sociopath versus whatever, right? This is the way you do diagnoses and then what the, what the thing is. DSM-3 has made it illegal to do what they call restorative or reparative. Reparative. Is it reparative? What's the name? Who's DSM in here? Who's, what's, what's the name? That, that, the therapy that said you can change orientation. Reparative. Okay. So the DSM-3 says you, what's that? I don't know what you guys are talking about. Now I can't hear. Well, I thought three was the newest one. Five's the newest one? Five's the new one. Okay, my bad on that. But I'm right about what I'm saying, right? DSM-5 says restorative reparity is harmful to the person and should not be practiced, right? You can't, your, the DSM says you can't do it. 
Now, the, the problem is, is that there's people sitting in this room right now that have, that have had uh, things open up to them. And here's, here's usually what they will say. There is still a, an, an attraction there. And, and I, you know, uh, again, this is so, so there, there was a ministry called um, Exodus that no longer exists. And the reason why it no longer exists is because the, the, the head of it said, there's something we're doing in reparative therapy that is about behavior modification and not about the heart. And so I can't do reparative anymore in good conscience. Okay? But he didn't say, and he wasn't saying, although he got accused of it, he wasn't saying that, that people can't orient back to, or that they can't orient in part to another gender. But here's what I want to say about all of that. I think that there's some people that are never going to be, some men and some women, that are never going to be attracted to the other gender. They aren't. And I, you know, you can try, and I think that it's good to try. But you can try in a way that can be harmful. You can try in a way that makes them feel like some filthy scum because they can't get rid of these vile thoughts, right? And I would say, I'm a Christian, and I have vile thoughts about my wife, right? I don't know if I said that the right way. It, it, does, it does not feel like I said that the right way, but does everybody know what I meant? Okay. You know what I mean? Un, ungodly and erotic thoughts, okay? And unfortunately, I have to say, not only about her. And Christ tells me that that's adultery. Now, what I do as a Christian is I don't beat myself to a pulp and go hang myself because I can't get rid of these vile thoughts. And I don't tell myself or anybody else that that's what they should do. What I do is I say, lean on Christ. And for the person who really is at a place to where that's going to be a lifelong struggle for them, the thing that I would say to them is, is you know, you've got a harder road to go, but it is in the end the same road as all of us. It may be more difficult and more high of a bar, but the bottom line is, is this is the same thing we're all doing. We're learning how to lean on Christ so that we've captured, taken captive every thought that exalts itself against the things of God. See what I mean? So, I, you know, I always think that we have to push these examples to the extreme because if we can't answer the extreme, our answers on the obvious are too superficial and facile. We've got to get to the extreme person. And I would say to that person, if, you, if that is going to be your plight in life, I am so sorry for you. And the LGBT community hates when you use this kind of analogy, but you can say there's people born with genetic predispositions to alcohol. Right? And what should they do with their life? Not drink. And that's a drag if you like drinking, right? But the point is, is we don't go to the alcoholic and say, well, there's nothing you can do about it. Keep drinking. We just don't do that. And so too here. We say that's hard. The reason why they hate it is because they say that's superficial compared to the power of sex. And I agree with that argument. I say sexual is bigger than alcohol temptation. It's bigger. But the bottom line is, in the end, we all need to learn how to lean on God all the time in every way. Go ahead. Uh, Todd. You got to stand up. I've had a same-sex attraction, and I have found that when I'm consumed with the gospel of Jesus Christ and loving the Lord and doing what all of us are supposed to do, those desires slough off. If I'm consumed with loving 
others as Jesus loved them. Starting with myself. All the desires that I'm not supposed to have do not torment me. And I'll say one more thing. I used to think that you, that would never change. I used to think that that's the way I was born. I have since found that is not true. And I have found that I do and always have had an underlying attraction towards the opposite gender. Now, for a long time, I thought that was not true. But the bigger thing I want to leave you with is, if we're doing what God's called us to do, which is to love one another and to love the lost, if that's where our heart is, all this other stuff, the alcohol, the unnatural sex, the controlling, the anger, the greed, all of it goes away right. as we're consumed with God's call us on this earth for. That's right. And I can say any, any day that I commit the day today to Christ, all this stuff doesn't matter. It, doesn't, it does not impact me. The day that I wander, which is plenty, I open myself up to all kinds of things that we all encounter. That's right. So that's really the issue. Who do I really love? Now, I want to just show you, first of all, thank you, Todd. And I want to say thank you for something bigger that I'm going to share, which is I was asked to come to the youth group and talk about this, or actually I asked the youth group if I could come and talk about it because it's a big deal, particularly amongst the young because of all this misinformation that they're hearing. And, and, and I, I just thought to myself, I thought I'm a 50-year-old or 58-year-old white-haired, white, fat man. And... <laughs> They don't give a rip what I have to say about something that they don't agree with, right? If they agree with what I'm saying, then they love me. But if they don't agree with what I'm saying, I'm not convincing them, right? And so what I did is I asked Todd to come. And I said, you are in, we're in the lifestyle. You have this. This is a struggle for you. And they'll listen to you where they won't listen to me. And so he came down and very generously shared that. And I want to make something very clear. I do not, and nobody in here should, ever think of Todd as the gay guy. But I do want to say something. There's a lot of people out there that are just like Todd. And when people are really struggling with this, I think, you know, I have asked Todd, and you can go to, go to friends and say, look, I want to make something clear. You are not the gay guy to me. I'm not just calling on you for that. We, you know, Todd and I have a great relationship quite apart from any of that stuff and have for years. But the bottom line is, is that there are, you're, the world is feeding you one set of information about how things are. And the truth is, is when you bring somebody who's actually been there, they, they, they tell you something quite different. And that's important. And it's important for somebody who's struggling with that to hear that. Okay? So, love you, Todd. Thank you. Go ahead, Zach. I think we're going to do like, say, three, four maybe. So if you need to ask a question, get ready and get your hand up. So I have a couple things to say and then a question. So um, when uh, gay marriage was made legal in California, my sister and her partner were one of the very first that ever got married. And they were on the cover of People magazine and everything. And I love my sister and I love her partner. And I care for both of them deeply and immensely. And they have three children together. So the question always that not only comes to mind, but I get that comes my direction, well, what do you do? You love them. You love them. Yeah. You just love them. Well, do you let them in your house? <laughs> you, you know, how do you treat their children? Well, you love them. 
<laughs> it's just so simple. Just love them. It is. Love them. You know, they're not, they're not trying to uh, come with this, this, you know, they sure would like me to accept their lifestyle in its entirety, right. um, which I don't, but at the same token, I love them. I think, I think, Zach, you're pointing out something that's so critical for us. In the end, in this discussion, we have to realize that, that this discussion takes us to a predicament. There's a thing called a dilemma, and it's not quite a dilemma. Dilemma means two choices, each of which is equally bad. It's not that, because there is a choice of loving on our part that isn't equally bad, right? Either accept them or you believe in the Bible, and that's bad too. But what we can understand is it does put us in a predicament. If we understand what the Scripture says, and somebody really doesn't believe that, that's a predicament. What do you do in a predicament? Yeah. Just what you said. We have to recognize our goal is not to convert. Our goal is to bring the good news. Our goal is to love. Our goal is to embody the heart, the mind, the soul, the fullness of Christ. Our goal is not to beat and to transform. We can't. And when we try, we fail. What we can do is through love, they will feel, grow. God can do the work that he wants to do in them. So what we're always doing is providing an open door and open arms and open heart. Jesus was a friend of sinners. If we cannot be labeled the same, then we are not doing what Christ did. Yeah, the, I, one more comment and then my quick question. So the other thing is that for some reason within Christendom, we um, have this idea that homosexuality as a grade of sin is the worst of the sins. And then we have, you know, well, if the guy and his girlfriend are sleeping together and they're still showing up to church, we'll pat them on the back and that's just somehow okay. But the people who are, you know, uh, professed homosexual or gay, you know, that, well, that's just so much different. And so we have to shun that and push them away and hold gay, you know, faggots are going to hell banners and stuff. What is that? And that's just sickening and crazy. And I think that most of us would agree that, like, Blatant sexual be deviant behavior that's just wrong is so easy to point out. But what do you do with people who are in a loving, committed marital relationship that we see it as, you know, marriage according to well, the Well, nothing law. different than what we've been saying. Yeah. But that's I, the, you, bring you, know. up, you bring up one of the more powerful arguments being used. Again, I said I couldn't address all of them. But one of the arguments that's being used right now has to do with um, this whole idea. I'm sorry, I lost my train of thought again. What did you just say? Loving relationship instead of a blatant sexual deviant sort of, you know, where everybody looks at that and goes, well, that must be what gay is, and so let's keep our kids away from them, and let's be, you no. know, on guard all the time because, you know, I've got to watch my butt. I'm sorry. It's not coming back to me. Yeah. It'll come back to me in a second. I'm just a little so I'm gonna. I've worked really hard on this sermon, and I had a really busy week and so on, so I'm a little, I'm a little more dazed and confused than normal. Last uh, thing, and then I'm going to give go him the microphone. It's, do you believe that this becomes more of an attack on, is the Word of God inspired by God as Scripture oh, as we see it, or, you know, are we just trying to change that whole field? It, you'll know how important I feel it is by look where I started on the whole argument. You know, after we got done with the prayer, the first thing I went to was, what's the Word? This is totally an attack on that. Things are, you know, we think it's all about the sexuality. We have to understand it's a much larger thing than that. 
It's a trying to pull down all of the things that Christians believe in every single way. And it's not by gay people. It's by uh, Satan. He's trying to do everything he can to bring us all into darkness, into, into fog, into confusion, into, you know, that kind of a thing. So we just have to understand that all of that stuff is in play. And we have to be very careful that we don't single out the LGBT. LGBT person, this is one of the things that, I, again, I would have liked to have made if I'd had more time on the sermon, and that is we have to understand that there's lots of people at this point in time that are being caught up in a movement, that are being caught up in a sweep. There's lots of people who are in this, and their, their desire was not to become a bathhouse homosexual, if you know what that means, just rampant sexuality. That was not their desire. Their desire was, I'm attracted to somebody, and they actually, you know, wanted to do this kind of a thing and so on. And, and the point is, there's lots of people who are being swept up in this at this point in time. Now, again, it doesn't actually turn out to be so many people that it changes the 2%. But we just have to understand, when we're talking to somebody, if we think of the person as evil, we just have to understand that isn't actually the way that God talked about it. The way he never said a word about that. What he, the same-sex orientation, it was clear that he was aware of it, and what he said, it's the behavior that's the issue. The, and not because that's the thing, but because, because what he's saying is it's not evil to have that same-sex attraction. There's too many people that are made that way to say that God made that many evil people. Okay, now if you're Calvinist, you would totally disagree with me right now and say, of course, God made tons of evil people. But I, I'm not a Calvinist. You know what I mean? Even though I, got, I think God is completely in control. And that makes me say that there's a lot of people with this orientation, and my heart is to love them. Now, that doesn't mean that they're going to heaven because I love them. In the end, if they push God away, and they will not repent, then they've, they've made their choice. God doesn't, when, when the sheep and the goats are separated before Jesus Christ, it is not, you're a goat, and they go, no, I'm not, I'm a sheep. It's that people look at Jesus, and they look into his eyes, and they know, I chose you, or I rejected you. Thousands and thousands of times God came to them in acts of mercy and love. And you either received or you rejected. And if you look into his eyes and know that you rejected him, then you know where you belong. You know? It's, there's not an argument to be made. Go ahead. Somebody else? Let's do two more. Okay? Great. Thank you. I, introverts unite. Okay? Speak. Okay? I'm not going to make you stand up because you're uniting, so go for it. Um, I became a Christian a couple of years ago, and I lost a lot of um, gay or lesbian friends just by becoming a Christian. We never had conversations or anything, and I miss them dearly. And um, I don't want to be offensive, you know? And, and, and just being a Christian to some people, it feels like I'm offending them. Yeah. And that makes me sad. Um, the other, I guess... But because I believe what the Bible has to say, um, and I want the best for the people that I love, yeah. that's just, you know, I guess I'm saying what you're preaching, really. Yeah. I agree yeah. with what you have said you. Um, in terms of I love the people I love, and I want the best for them. Yeah. It's not that I want to be offensive and tell them that they're, they're not bad as a person, yeah. and they're not wrong as a person, but I believe what God says is more important than what we think, right? Yeah. So I want my, um, my uncle and his partner to yeah. be well. And, you know, I went to their marriage or to their wedding, yeah. and it was very strange. It's a strange experience. And then I, my best friend from middle school, her wedding was yesterday with her now wife. Right. And um, 
I feel like not going to the wedding was an insult, and I want the best for them. I want their happiness. I want their wellness. I want them to know God, and I want them to, you know, I want what God wants for them. I hear the struggle in your voice. Could, do you have a question? You well, keep my going? question is, do we go to gay weddings? Yeah. Yeah, and, and what's the answer? What's the answer? It just depends. It depends. If you, here's what we have to be doing with everything that we're doing. Is the Holy Spirit leading me to do this? There are times that the Holy Spirit will lead you to not go. There are times you may not like this. You may not think that this is good theology. I don't know if it's good theology. The one thing that I know is it's as close as I can get to the heart of God, which is what I, all I can do is, is ask him to help me discern what it is I'm supposed to do. If I make a rule, that's what Satan can use. Satan loves the rules because he can always weasel in there in some way as to make the whole thing look silly. And then I can't trust any of them. So that's why God doesn't do that. He did it in the law, showed us that it doesn't work, and then he showed us the better way, which is be led by the Spirit. And I want to say, if somebody asked me to do that, my, you know, if somebody asked me to marry them as an officiant, I would pray, but I can't imagine God ever saying yes. If a friend says that they're doing that, then what do I do? I pray. But that's what I do always. You know, I, well, I wouldn't say that in every wedding I pray, should I go? I can tell you, Julie would know that I do that because I'm kind of tired and, you know, but... That's another issue altogether. But do you catch what I'm saying? I think, that there, I think it's a big deal. I think that we pray, and I think that God knows how to use us in the finely tuned way that he would use us to do what he wants to do with us, and that's all we're to do. We're his instruments to do his will, his way. So if he leads you to do it, I would go without an issue with that. If you knew that it was God, you know what I mean? And if you don't know whether it is or it's not, I wouldn't fall back on an easy thing. I would say, why, why aren't you telling me? And lead me. Because I think in the end, God will lead us. And we're just learning how to follow him ever more diligently, ever more uh, finely. Okay, I think I said there was one more, and then we're going to quit. Go ahead, Shadrach. Let's get the mic to him, though. Oh, I see. I'm sorry. Was there somebody ready to go? Then we'll do two, and then we'll quit. Sorry. Go ahead, Shadrach. You're up. you got to stand up, though. Okay. The... This kind of relationship alien to me, in India, is a crime. They put you in jail. Yes. So it's a crime. But here, uh, I used to shun them. I used to, I didn't like, you know, I didn't like them. But uh, I had to love them. Uh, last year, I led uh, one homosexual couple to the Lord. One woman was dying with cancer. Uh, God has led me to this couple. I told them God loves them, and then led them to Christ. The woman with cancer, she died. She's with the Lord. So that's what I did. So I used to have some reservations with these people. But uh, below them, you got to go to them and then give the gospel. Tell them God loves you. And then I was successful in leading both of them to Christ. Yeah. One girl died. She's yeah. with the Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank God that he's a friend of sinners because then he can be a friend of mine. Go ahead. You got to stand up. It's, it's helpful if you say your name, too. We should get in the My habit of doing Patty that. Ray. Um, I guess something that makes it a little more difficult is, so out of marriage relationships, whether heterosexual or homosexual is wrong, according to the Bible. Right. Um, 
but now we have man's law on marriage and God's law on marriage. Yeah. And it it's hard to, you know, you have people who you love who are um, gay yeah. and they're trying to obey that part of marriage, but I'm just feeling like through the whole law, we're just losing um, what's Christian's view of yeah. marriages and this whole man's area, coming into it. This whole area, uh, John is great at, Chris is great at. This is a whole area of Christianity that has to do with how do we reconcile our walk with Christ with the laws of the land, particularly when they're at odds with one another. But it doesn't just have to be that. But particularly when they're at odds with one another, how do we reconcile that? And I want to come back to the issue is if we form a formula, that's where we get tripped up. If what we do is, is that we ask the Lord in the cases that we deal with, what do you want me to do? Who do you want me to be? I actually think, be care, really careful here, right? I actually think that it, it, if people will allow it, it becomes something that strengthens your walk with Christ because it's not on autopilot anymore. When all the laws comport with Christ, then we just on autopilot our life and we don't actually grow. When we, when we do it the other way, another thing happens. See what I mean? So I, I, it's incredibly difficult. There's literally an entire Dewey Decimal System thing devoted to this stuff. I can't remember what the name of it is, but it's a particular kind of thought which has to do with the public square, you know, and how do we live out our walk in the middle of it. And you got everybody from Dietrich Bonhoeffer, which if you don't know who that is, my gosh, you're just missing out on one of the most fantastic stories ever who was about Hitler and tried to kill Hitler as a Christian and was sentenced to death for it. You know what I mean? To all kinds of other things. So this is a huge, important area. Okay? And it's very difficult. And what I want to say is we just have to keep it simple, stupid. What's the Lord asking me to do? When we, when we, when we come up with a formula, we're playing into the Satan's hands, not God's. Okay, I think we're done. Or you want to go? We'll do one more. That's it. I really promise that's it. Okay? Go ahead. Okay, my I name know. is Hannah, and I hate speaking in public. Thank so. you for talking. Thank you, Hannah. <laughs> but um, I think it's important you. I say something because I've struggled with this for a while, and yeah. I've been going to church for a year now, and it's been a huge battle going through it, and yeah. I just, sorry, I hate speaking, but um, I was taught that we were, that if you've been saved, which I have been, I've been baptized, and that if you believe right. on Jesus as your right. Lord and Savior, that you're not under law, but that you're under grace. Yes. And uh, is that true? Did, yes. And I, I have a hard time with people saying, or the word saying that gays go to hell, because well, I just feel like, you know, as, you know, being gay myself, I've tried to change, I've tried, you know, and I just feel like I've, you know, I'm a good person. And it's just hard for me to wrap my mind around that if I don't change, like, I'm going to hell. Like, it's yeah. It's just... What was your first name again? Hannah. Hannah, thank yeah. you. Can I just say something? Thank you for talking. Yeah, it's, it's okay, hard. That, that it's hard to come a, up here and, you know, yeah, I share. And I just feel like God's putting something on my heart to share. And when he does that, I, I try it. to have the courage to be bold and I to do it. so. And The two things that I tried to say in the sermon, if they didn't come through, then let me just reiterate them quickly. The first one is 
is that the law and grace don't disagree. We're not under the law. We're not under the rules. That's true. We're under grace. But the point is the grace that we're talking about does not offend or violate the law. It doesn't. Mm -hmm. It's consistent with it, the grace that we're talking about. We could say, and as an, as an extreme example, we could say, uh, because I'm not under the law, I can murder. Because it doesn't say in the New Testament not to murder. Now, it may say that in the New Testament, but you get my point. But we would all agree that that's not true. And so we would all say, well, wait a minute, it doesn't work. So all of a sudden, we have that. And then mm -hmm. can I just oh, go ahead? Sorry. No, you talk. It's just hard because it's like people put being gay in the same category as murdering or I, stealing. Or and all. I know, or except, I got it. Exactly. I get I it. it. And that's been hard for me, too, because it's love for me, it. you know. And I'm not sitting you here hear me trying say to that? say that it's right. It's not something I'd tell people to do, you know. And it is yeah. something that I've just really struggled with. But it being thrown in that category has been hard because I bring people to church. I try to save lives. I try to do all this stuff, you Thank know. You. But I still... You know, I'm still in this battle, you know, yeah. and it's, it's just hard that I'm thrown into the same category yeah. as murderers or stealers or all yeah. this stuff. You heard me say that, that the LGBT community hates it when people use those kinds of arguments. Mm -hmm. And I said I'm sensitive to that mm -hmm. because of how much more fundamental it is and how much more difficult it is. Mm -hmm. So I, I'm not in disagreement on that part of your point. Mm -hmm. the, the one problem that I've got, Hannah, is I want you to just switch places with me right now, okay? I'm you and you're me, okay? And, and I've just laid out, as well as I could, and I could do it more exhaustively, but I've just laid out what the Bible says mm -hmm. as opposed to any other thing that I might want it to say. Yeah. But I've just laid out what God says. And what I am as a Christian now, and this is you, okay, because I want to get you to, I want to ask a question of you. If, if, if you believe that, if you believe that despite the, the belief that I have, that I'm this way, I was made this way, I'm a loving person, I'm a good person, I've done all these wonderful things, and, and so why are you judging me? In the end, if you think, I get, that, I get that what you're saying is actually true, that you are a good person, that you are helping people, that your heart is for God, and that you're doing this, Absolutely. but in the end, if, if, okay, and you're me now, if I'm saying, if you're saying to me, but in the end, I believe that there's something that God has, that's better than what you're saying is, and I've gone to Scripture, and I've said that Scripture says this not because it's trying to deny you something that is, that is a good thing. I've said it before. If there is no God and so on, it's two people loving each other, that's a good thing, and to be supported, right? But if there is a God, and he says he's got a problem, and the problem that he has is, as I defined it, then, then here's my question for you. How can I love you, honest to goodness, how can I love you and not hold on to what I think is God's better than what you know? See, so now I'm, what I'm doing is I'm actually asking you that question, and I'm saying, with all of my heart, as best as I understand it, my heart is that I love you. My heart is, is that I want God's best for you. And that's true of a whole lot of people in here that are having other kinds of struggles, right? And I don't say, it's okay, don't worry about it. What I do is I love them enough to try and say, I really think that God has something that you're not seeing. I get that you're not seeing it, and I'm not calling you a horrible human being for not seeing it. I understand that there's a very complicated, very combustible, very difficult situation here. But in the end, what you're asking me to do is love you. And with all my heart, I want to tell you 
if there's somebody that is going over a waterfall that they can't see and I don't say anything, I didn't love you. If I see that there's something coming and you don't agree with me, but I didn't say anything because I didn't want to offend, because I wanted to love you, because I didn't want to, you know, in the end, I just, I, I, that doesn't feel like love to me. It feels like I made a mistake. It feels like, oh my God, I didn't save this wonderful person. You see what I mean? I didn't even try. Now, what I can promise you is I'm not going to come at you. <laughs> you know, you're a sinner. You're a horrible person. You've heard that. What I am going to do is I'm going to say, I think honestly, honest to God, and I might be wrong. The scripture tells me something. I believe it. I might be wrong on that. But as far as I can tell, this is what it says and why it says it. And it feels like there's something more that God has for you. And I love you enough that I'm not going to say, okay. That what instead I'm going to say is, is we're going to agree to disagree. We're going to be in a predicament. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to love you. And I'm going to talk to you, and I'm going to pray for you, and I'm going to ask God to do what only he can do so that anybody can come to anything. And that's the only thing that I can do because it's not my responsibility to judge or to save. It's my responsibility to be his heart for you. And if he wants to use me to say something that might help make a difference, great. If he doesn't, great. I don't care. Does that? Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I want to say thank you for talking. I, I, I promise that we're only going to do one more. Uh, if you need to leave, leave. Something's happening. I want to let it happen. I don't, know, I don't know any of you guys. I don't know why you're here. I'm assuming that maybe you heard something and you wanted. And, and what I want to say is, is, first of all, I want to thank you for sitting here and listening to a long-winded pastor talk for over an hour. Okay? I got to tell you, when I, when I go and I listen to that stuff on the tape, I'll say to myself, man, I wish that guy would just shut up, okay? I really do. And I just want to thank you for being respectful and for asking that question in such a respectful manner because that's what's missing in the dialogue right now. We can't even talk about this right now without people stereotyping and judging and getting into bad places, okay? So I'm trying to come against that as much as I'm trying to bring truth into the situation. And with that, if you need to go, I love you, go. But... Let's go ahead. Uh, over here, Alex. And go ahead and give us your name, too. My name is Patrice. Um, I've been coming here for a while. My parents have been coming here very long, my brother. Yeah. But I just wanted to say um, thank you. I can tell that you worked really, really hard on it. And we're very careful. You didn't want to disrespect anyone. Thank I you. really appreciate that. Thank you. And um, I just want to say I love you. Yes, we're going to agree to disagree. <sighs> However... I can tell that you just want to love us, and uh, when you see something just like my parents do, they warn me of something when they see it, and yeah. uh, it's because they love me. Yeah. And so I get where you're coming from. Thank you. And I appreciate that. Thank um, you, Patrice. Yes, you're welcome. And, uh, Thank you. That, that's all now. We, I would love to have a conversation with you, because... Uh, Doors open. They know how to get in touch with me in a heartbeat, but it's right on the yes, website. Yes. Easy. I'd love to do this. Fantastic. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, with that, are we done? You guys tell me. Let's, let's catch this one more and then, then hopefully we're done. Go ahead. No, you can't because we're recording it. We're recording it. My we're, name is Ben. People are watching wow. and they want to see it too. Um, I first was exposed to this in a church of all places. 
where honest people spoke their mind and weren't afraid to hear what they said. They still called AIDS the gay plague back then. I feel blessed to be here present. Kurt knows me a little bit, and to be here in this discussion today has been incredible for me, for I get to counsel many people in very difficult situations. In return, I get the answers I need from mine. I've had many questions of my own sexuality, mortality, but the answers I get from people who speak honestly and aren't afraid to be exposed for those Amen. honest things, Amen. that's where I get the answers I need to hear. Amen. So for each of you, this isn't easy for me either. Thank you. Amen. Thank you for that. Is that it? Uh, I'm going to end with prayer. God, thank you. I owe you everything. You know how much I have uh, wrestled to find the heart and to get it right as I could. And I'm sure there's much more than, than I've even begun to touch. But I want to thank you for taking us to the depths that you did. I want to thank you for the way that this discussion went. And I want to thank you, God, that you're the God who makes us all one who brings us together and does amazing things that are just wonderful. And so in Jesus' holy and precious name, all of us come before you and we say, teach us how to be like you. Teach us how to be your hands, feet, heart, and love manifest, as was Jesus, in the world. Thank you, God, for this time. Let it be used and let it minister in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen. I want to thank you all. Thank you very, very much. Okay? Love you.